just a, uh, a note of clarification that the sermon title is not the coming indicators, okay? The, the, the coming is going to be the title of my series that I do leading up to Christmas. The first message is indicators. Got it? Okay. Look, if you look up indicate in the dictionary, it says indicate is to be a sign, symptom, or index of. So, indicators could be considered signs of something. Take, for instance, what we hear about sometimes in America, economic indicators. You've heard that phrase. Things like current employment statistics, housing starts, retail sales, manufacturing inventories and sales are signs that tell us if the economy is weak or strong, improving or declining. And people who look at these things and understand what these signs mean then use them as signs or indicators to use as guidance for investment and business decisions and financial matters. Well, God provided indicators so that people could see the coming of Christ. Normally, we talk about the Magi at the end of the Christmas story because they're the last people to find Jesus. But we'll start with them because they might be among the first people, along with Simeon and Anna, who were actually looking at the signs of the King's coming. Now, we know this is the Christmas season, we're just entering into it, and all across the world, and even in our sanctuary, up front and at the back, we, there are the nativity scenes. And in those, we generally see Mary and Joseph, and the baby, and the shepherds, and the angels, and cattle, and donkeys, and sheep, and sometimes camels, and wise men. Now, the problem with these scenes is that the wise men didn't show up till about one to two years after the nativity scene took place. Our, our text tells us that by the time the Magi, and I'm going to use the term Magi and wise men interchangeably. Is that okay? You'll know what I mean. By the time the Magi found Jesus, the family was living in a house as though they had settled in Bethlehem rather than returning to Nazareth from which Mary and Joseph had come a year or two previously. Now Matthew's account of the wise men leaves us wanting for more information. You know, there's a lot we'd like to know about these guys, but more often than not we're left to speculate on those matters that aren't elaborated upon in the text that we have before us. We're not certain about the precise meaning of the term Magi. Nor do we know where in the East these guys came from. So, it's necessary for us to set aside almost everything we think we know about the Magi because our thinking has been shaped mostly by Christmas carols and nativity scenes. Rather than, rather than on the revelation of Scripture, which really, again, doesn't tell us all that much about them. We do not know the number of Magi. We know how many gifts they brought. And that has kind of determined the number of Magi in most nativity scenes. But 
We don't know the number. We don't know their names. We don't know the size of the party that they came to Jerusalem with. We don't know the source of their information. How they know to how they know to come to this part of the world looking for the newborn king. How did they know that? We're not given the source of that. The only thing we're told is the only fact we really have is that they saw some unusual phenomena in the sky that told them that something was going on. Which brings us to our first point. These indicators, these signs that are part of the story about the Magi. What The first was the sign of the star. We can safely say that the Magi were men who had knowledge of, astro- of astronomy, which is really pretty consistent with what would have been studied by learned men in the East at that time in history, in places like Babylon and other nations to the East of Israel. So something unusual in the sky had been observed, which is described as a new star that had suddenly appeared. And we really don't know about the phenomena that took place, and it really doesn't matter, although there's a lot of conjecture about what was going on there, and we'll talk about that a little more. What we can be assured of is the fact that God arranged this astronomical oddity in order to signal these magi of a very significant birth. The birth of a child who was born as king of the Jews. The appearance of the star in the east was a signal to them, to them of an important event. And this led to further investigation and, and inquiry on the part of the Magi. And since we know of the godly testimony of men like Daniel and others who were taken into captivity, it's not unlikely that at least some of the Old Testament scriptures were available to the Magi. And that, the, and that there were those in the East who were genuine God-seekers whose hearts were, were being prepared for the coming of the Messiah. And the big question here is really not where they came from or their names or how long it took them to make the journey. The big question is, why did they do this? Why did these men travel such a great distance? Why would they leave homes and families and go on what might have been nothing more than a wild goose chase? Well, Scripture tells us that they did this because they were coming to worship the newborn king. And when they reached Jerusalem, they began asking, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to Worship Him. They'd come to worship Jesus because they'd searched the heavens and they'd seen a new star. A new star? Was that possible? Could there have been a new star in the heavens at that time? I like your answer. Well, there's... That's what an author named Robert McIver believes. He spent three decades researching his book, Star of Bethlehem, Star of Messiah. 
He cited writings from ancient Chinese and Korean astronomers who said they observed a new star about the time of the birth of Christ. MacIver also discussed paintings describing this in Russian, in, excuse me, Roman catacombs, as well as coins from various countries which depict an unusual star about this time. He even noted observations from other cultures around the world that might refer to an unusual star at around the time of Christ's birth. So obviously, here's a guy, obviously, who believed that a new star appeared. And this was an unusual star. You know, there's been all kinds of theories about this new star. That Well, it could have been a comet or a meteor or a conflagration of planets like Saturn, Jupiter, and Mars. A conflagration is a word meaning that these three planets lined up. And so they were, you know, this brightness that would have come from these three planets all in line. But each of these theories has problems. Some has to do with timings and other issues. This was a star that caught the Magi's issue. A star that stayed in the night sky for at least probably two years. And it moved to a place directly over where Jesus was. Ordinary stars or meteors or comets or conflagrations of planets don't do that. But this one did. And many theologians and wise men of our age aren't comfortable with that idea, but that's okay. The Magi observed the stars and studied what it the star and studied what it meant. It was an indicator that they took heed of, and it motivated them to seek the one that the sign heralded, the sign of the star. So the wise men came to Jerusalem during the time when Herod was king. One thing that Herod did not want was competition for the throne. If you know anything about Herod's reputation, um, the slightest threat could mean off with your head, or worse. So when these men showed up in Jerusalem, it created quite a stir, and it disturbed Herod as well. And again, the wise men asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and had come to worship him. They came looking for a king, and it wasn't Herod, and that upset him. And they said, We have seen his star in the east. Well, that meant they saw the star in the east where they lived. The star was actually to the west of them, right? So the star was in the west, and when they followed it, they went west. If they'd traveled east, they would have ended up in India or China or someplace like that. But but the question that arises here is, how did they associate the star with the king, and how did they tie this particular thing to Israel? Well, one explanation might be that in the section of the east they came from, they knew the prophecy given by Balaam that is recorded in Numbers 24.17. Again, remember Daniel and others were taken into captivity in the east and they possibly had access to some or maybe all of the 
Old Testament scriptures that were available at that time. And in Numbers 24:17 it says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. He will crush the foreheads of Moab, the skulls of the sons of Sheth. The star will come out of Jake. The star that will come out of Jacob is the nation of Israel. The scepter that will rise is a king. The star is mentioned along with the scepter. The wise men came seeking a king, and that bothered Herod. Barclay, in his commentary, says it may seem extraordinary that these. Men should set out from the east to find a king, but the strange thing is that just about the time Jesus was born, there was in the world a strange feeling of expectation of a coming king. Roman historian Suetonius wrote, There had spread over all the Orient an old and established belief that it was fated at that time for men coming from Judea to rule the world. Tacitus tells of the same belief that there was a firm persuasion that at this very time the East was to grow powerful and rulers coming from Judea were to acquire universal empire. Regarding this same period, Josephus wrote that the Jews had a belief that about that time one from their country should become governor of the habitable earth. There was, there was a star in the sky and the wise men couldn't explain the star but they knew what it meant. There was a king to be born in Israel and they're so, so excited about it that they left their homes and families and traveled a vast distance to be in his presence. They followed the star with faith, courage, and commitment of resources. They saw the sign, and they knew what it meant. The next sign we see is the sign of the prophet. Matthew's account actually begins with the arrival of the Magi, or the wise men, in Jerusalem. And contrary to popular conception, the wise men did not seek out Herod to learn the birthplace of the king of the Jews. Look at, what ha- look at what the Scripture says. It says, Why Magi from the east came to, to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been poor, born king of the Jews? We saw a star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, so they came into town and they were asking anybody they ran into, Hey, where's the king of the Jews been born? Now, um, they knew that a baby, not King Herod, was the king of the Jews they saw. Not Herod. In fact, if Herod's reputation was as well known as we would expect, the Magi very well may have sought to avoid him. Matthew's Gospel leaves us with the impression that the Magi arrived in Jerusalem asking whomever they met where the Messiah could be found. Surely they thought, if they had been so clearly guided by God thus far, then the people of God in Jerusalem 
the people of God must have had an even greater awareness of His birth. If us Gentiles from the East know what's going on, surely God's people in Jerusalem will know. So we'll just ask around on the street. And they must have marveled at the shrugged shoulders and bewildered looks of the faces of the Jerusalemites as they were asked about the Messiah's whereabouts. Uh-huh. But I think word probably traveled pretty quickly around Jerusalem. The arrival of this group, the zeal of their search, the certainty that the Messiah had come must have caught the Jewish people off guard. How could foreigners from afar have received such information without Jerusalem first learning of Christ's coming? How could a Jewish king be sought by those who would be considered Gentiles so that they might worship Him. And so I think what happened was they discounted the wise men. These guys don't know what they're talking... Listen, if there was a Messiah born, us Jews would know about it. Well, it says that when Herod finally heard this, when the news reached the palace, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. It was really upsetting news for for Herod. So he calls a meeting of the religious leaders and the scribes and he demanded that they tell him where the Messiah was to be born. And they knew the answer because they knew the Scriptures and they knew the prophecies and they knew God's promises. They knew the Word of God, but they had lost God in His Word. The letter of the law, the Word of the Lord... Their rituals, their ceremonies had become their religion and was more important to them than God Himself. They did not love God. They did not obey Him. In fact, Jesus would later call them hypocrites. But they knew the answer from Scripture. In Bethlehem of Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written from Micah, the prophet Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Before Abraham was, I am. How many people are like the Jerusalemites today? I mean, there are people in the church, they study the Bible, they take great pride in what they know, but they're not looking forward to Jesus' coming. They kind of like Jesus to hold off for a while. Because they like life the way it is. And maybe deep in their hearts they know they're not ready. We need to read and study the Scriptures not just as an academic exercise, but to get to know the God of Scriptures, to deepen our relationship with Him and to recognize the indicators that point to His activity among us and to the second coming, the second advent of Jesus, just like the wise men recognize the signs of His first coming. 
And then the third sign we see is the sign of the child. Now notice the response or the lack thereof of the entire city of Jerusalem. We don't know. So the Magi diligently search for the infant king to present gifts and to worship him. And Herod also indicates that he was, would eagerly seek the child. You guys go and find him. And you tell, tell me when you've found him so that I too can come and worship him. But we know that Herod's desire was to kill the child because it, he thought it threatened his kingship. I think it's interesting that Herod was the first person who wanted to take, to take Christ out of Christmas. And honestly, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, they seemed to, to not have much interest in checking out the situation either. All those who lived in Jerusalem seemed unwilling to travel five short miles to the south of the city of Jerusalem to Bethlehem where they could have found the promised Messiah. But the only ones that went were the wise men and the group that traveled with them. But the wise men do. They make, once they receive the information that the chief priests and teachers of the law have provided, they make their journey to Bethlehem following the star, it says, until it comes to rest over the place where Jesus and his family now live. You know, I think that the conduct of the, of the wise men is a striking example of faith. They believed in Christ when they had never seen him. But that was not all. They believed in him when the scribes and Pharisees were unbelieving. But that again was not all. They believed in him when they saw him a little infant on Mary's knee and worshipped him as king. See, this was the crowning point of their faith. They saw no miracles other than maybe this, the star, and they may not have recognized that as a miracle, but they, they saw no miracles to convince them. They heard no teaching to persuade them. They beheld no signs of divinity and, and greatness to, to overawe them. They saw nothing but a newborn infant, helpless and weak, needing a mother's care like any other baby. And yet when they saw that infant, they believed that they saw the divine Savior of the world. And you know what they did? They fell down and worshipped him. Have you ever wondered how long they stayed? You know, we don't know how far they came. We don't know how long it took. But it's like, you know, they presented their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and said, you know, I mean, was it like, well, nice seeing you. We'll be on our way. Yeah, I don't think so. You know, and it, that's another thing that Matthew doesn't bother to tell us. Like they hung around for two weeks and every day they showed up at the house and like, whoa, we get to see the Savior of the world. We don't know. I think if I'd done what they did to get there, I'd have hung around a while. They fell down 
and worshipped Him. You know, a person can be a biblical scholar. They can teach theology in a university. But if they don't know Jesus, they miss the most important element of the Bible. Um, Years ago, this is our second time we've lived in Colorado. Julie and I lived in Loveland for about a year. And we had a next-door neighbor who... You know, I wasn't in ministry at that time, but he knew a lot more about the Bible than I did. He had this box of really quality commentaries that he gave me. But he didn't know Jesus. We used, we used to hear the uh, outplay of that coming through the walls. We, it was a duplex. We could hear the outplay of that in their home as they screamed and yelled at each other. A person can become a biblical scholar. You can teach. By the way, just because somebody is a theologian doesn't mean that they know Jesus. If if you don't know Jesus, you're missing the most basic element, the most important thing of the Scripture. And so I think this morning that the most important thing that can happen happen during Advent and our celebration of Christmas is that we discover Jesus. One of the prayers I pray at this season is that people will meet and enter into relationship with the Christ of Christmas and know for the first time the real reason why we celebrate what we celebrate at this time of the year. I I want to conclude this morning with communion and if those who will be serving us would come and prepare right now. I'm... We're going to try a little different method this morning, so uh, don't feel like you're not going to be served. They're just going to try something a little different to see if it's, a, it's more efficient today. Um, just a reminder that you need not be a member of our church to partake of communion, and please hold the elements and we will partake together. You know, all around us, we see the signs of Christmas. And and honestly, they've been in the stores since Halloween or before. Um, That's really not about Christmas, but nevertheless, those signs have been there. Celebrating the birth of Jesus is a good thing. But you know what? Jesus did not tell us in Scripture to remember His birth. What, What did Jesus tell us? To remember his death until he returns. So what do the signs mean for us today? Well, the cross is the sign of Jesus' death. What's the meaning behind that? Okay, the shedding of blood, the forgiveness, the remission of sins. The empty tomb is the sign of Jesus' Resurrection, what does that mean for us? It means for us, resurrection and eternal life and, and that everything Jesus said about Himself was, was proven true when He overcame death itself. What are the signs of His second advent? Of His return again? Well, we know the Bible tells us that Jesus will appear in the sky as a sign of His final return. 
And we know that the scripture tells us that there are things that will be happening in our world that are indicative of Jesus' eminent return, don't we? And I have to be honest with you, I'm a little cautious about people who say, well, I've got it all figured out. And here's what this means, and here's what this means, and here's what this means, and here's when it's all going to happen. And Jesus will be back on Rosh Hashanah of September 1988. Whoops. So I'm cautious about that, but I still think that as these events unfold and we're seeking God, that here's, I believe that as these events unfold, we'll we'll say, ah, ah. That's what the scripture was talking about. So, do we understand the signs of what the king has already accomplished? And are we alert to his return? There are still signs. And we need to be alert to them. I want to share this, um, this little poem with you this morning. It's called Representatives. And it says, This is my body, my blood, you said, holding up bread and wine. You chose not beautiful fruit, plucked fresh and eaten whole, Or water bubbling from some cool spring, but bread and wine. The grain, the grape, crushed and pressed until all identity is gone. This, you said, is me, broken and poured out for you. O Lord, When I feel in my soul the grinding of the millstone, the pain of the wine press, help me submit and like these emblems, become a proper representative of you. Folks, these are the emblems, the elements we partake of today. The grain crushed, ground into dust and made into bread that in no way resembles the kernel that is its very substance. The grape, squeezed, compressed until what once was a fruit is now unrecognizable as such. It's very life having been drawn from it. The grape and the grain, crushed, ground, pressed to produce the elements of communion, certainly express what Jesus experienced for us on Calvary's cross but should also serve as reminders that we are called to die as well. To be ground, sweet, squeezed, crushed, changed in such a way that who we were before Christ and who we are in Christ are so different that one is not recognizable from the other. No, I'm not talking about physical appearance. This is a spiritual thing. We are to die to selfishness so that when we have gone through the process of being ground and crushed, what remains is not the likeness of us, of me. It is the likeness of Jesus. 
that is seen in us. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The oldest passed away. Behold, the new has come. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 20 through to 29, Paul also writes, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in 